I have comments for you guys that I included on your uh, on your thing you turned in. Um, I hope that they're helpful. If you have questions about what I mean, by all means, uh, um, ask. My wife suggested, and I think this is not a bad idea. Um, when I was in college, and I was taking, I was a minor in English, and um, and so I, I I had to write a lot of papers for my minor, because I was a Bible major, and. Um, we had to do paper conferences, and I took some grad-level English classes. Do paper conferences means that you go into the professor's office, you present your paper, and the professor talks you through it, and you kind of get some one-on-one -on -one time with the professor about it. So what I'm asking is if you guys want to do a quote-unquote paper conference about your sermon, I'm going to open that up to you guys. So it's not required, but we have two weeks off. We have this week is Easter, so there is, uh, isn't that right? If you look at the um, schedule, um, we should have next two weeks off. the next two weeks back to back, kind of like a spring break and then evangelistic services, no class. So I'm going to be around church. I have, a, I do have a busy schedule. My schedule is pretty busy, but I will, um, I can schedule you in. It's not a problem. Um, it will have to be you guys. I can meet whenever the ladies I can meet, but it'd have to be during office hours. So I can't, I can't meet, obviously can't meet with you one-on-one, -on -one, um, without having other people here. That's against church policy. So if you want to, um, if you want to, it would be during this, during the day when like grace is here and the staff is here. Um, so what, if you want to, I, I'm going to just say, email me. You all have my email address and uh, tell me some times that would work for you. And if you want to do this, it's not required. If you're, if you're like, oh, I'm not doing that, no problem. But uh, let's say you really want to sit down and like hash out some of the ideas, hash out some of these things and kind of work through it. I'd be glad to do it. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. There's no quiz today. And uh, then I have some things to walk through together and... Um, We'll go from there. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for uh, this day, for this class. I pray you give everybody a great time tonight as we talk through these things. There'll be a lot of clarity and a lot of uh, understanding, and that uh, you'd help us as we approach the text, the scripture, the word of God, that we would communicate it clearly to others. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Um, first, uh, talk about your illustrations. Um, if you would open up your book to Worksheet 5. Um, and let's see if I can... Uh, at the very beginning, there's a series of worksheets. Page 11 is a mine. Okay, page 11. The page after that, I think is what I'm actually shooting for. I don't know if it actually has a uh, title on or not, but it's about illustrate. It's a little bit about illustrations and applications. So um, it would... Um, uh, or five's introductions. Um, and then this thing called extra information, illustrations and applications. You see that? Um, let me get there. Uh, worksheet two. Okay, so introductions. Did you guys see this introduction thing? Okay. Okay, we're going to skip that right now. We're going to go to extra information called illustrations and applications. Um, so I'm just going to walk through this. Please interrupt me if you have any questions. I also have a handout um, that will go at the very back of your... Um, stuff. Well, I'll hand this out in a second. In fact, let me go ahead and hand it out. Take one and pass it around. It goes to the very back uh, before your appendix, uh, before the extra information. So just maybe hold on to it and we'll go there in a second. So when dealing with outlines, remember that each point should have three elements. I got a couple questions this week about how does it look to have, like, what does your sermon outline look like? Like, what are you doing when you prepare a sermon outline? Like, what, what am I actually looking at when I get up there to speak? Um, you, you should have three elements normally to each a point, each main point. So each 
of these elements should relate to the main point. You notice what I'm saying here. Each, each of these elements, I'm calling explanation, illustration, and application. They all relate not to a subpoint, but to the main point. So you're going to, your main point number one is going to be explained. And how is it explained? It's explained with your subpoints. Uh, if it sounds, uh, I, I, hope, I hope this is not too, too burdensome or too, too obvious, but it really, it really is something that bears repeating that sub point one explains main point one, sub point two explains, or it gives an illustration of sub point three explains main point one. Everything is kind of reinforcing or giving evidence for or explaining main point one. And then you're going to illustrate. Now I've already said a couple times that you don't, depending on your sermon, you don't have to illustrate every single point. Illustration applications are tied together. Uh, in the sense that really you should probably, you, you, your, your illustrations and your applications normally are going to be connected to the, to the you must part of your, of your statement. Okay, the, the, the application part, the exhortation part of your proposition and the exhortation part of your main points. So if you have three exhortations, about how many applications are you going to have? No, three. Oh, three for each? No. Yeah, no, one for each. So if you have three exhortations, I'm sorry, yeah, three is in one, two, and then you had point three. Or say you have two points, and, and they're both exhor two different exhortations, like the same truth, but two different exhortations. You're going to have one application for each one because they're telling you to do two different things. And what an application does is it's really putting flesh and bones on your your preaching it's saying what does this look like lived out um in the real world in today so with with people who walk around with ipads and macbooks and and iphones and whatever we live in electricity and air conditioning and cars like we live in a different world than the bible people lived in and so there are different applications that doesn't mean that the bible isn't applicable it just means that it's applicable in more places so the way that works itself out, I mean, we're still being very general. I looked at your applications and most of them were pretty general. Uh, they weren't super specific. Um, and that's okay, but you, we need to get them more specific. So illustration and then application always refer back to the main point. So you'll notice here, I put this here for sermons with one central exhortation, the anchor, you may not have any illustrations or applications until the end of the message. What I'm saying when I say that is that if, you're, if you have one exhortation over and over and over again, why would you apply it every single main point? You're just going to be making the same application over and over and over again. So wait to the end and make one big application. Does that make sense? So that's why some of you have really like one illustration or one application. And frankly, if you have one really good illustration and one really good application, that's pretty good. Don't feel like you have to come up with five, like one, like one main idea. Okay. So please note the explanation of, of point one involves all the subpoints. The illustration application, however, are not a subset of explanation. The illustration application serve to illustrate and apply the main point and not the subpoints. Again, I, I say this over and over again because this is something that people mess up quite a bit. You all are doing a good job with this. It's a major temptation to come up with illustrations and applications for minor sub-subpoints rather than a main point. So try to remember that you're illustrating and applying the, the main point. All right, so let's keep going. Illustrations, the purpose of an illustration. I mentioned this um, at the end of our class last time in, in brief. But the purpose of an illustration is not to explain because your explanation is done by your subpoints. The purpose of an illustration is to motivate. Now you might be saying, now wait a second, that doesn't make any sense because illustrations are pictures of something. Aren't they supposed to flesh, aren't they supposed to give a picture of what I'm, no, not really. You're, what, what I, the way I'm defining an illustration is I'm defining illustration really as a story. So take out, now hold, you might just like pull this off to the side. We'll go through this too in a second. Your, your point is to, is to motivate your congregation. So um, to be completely honest, I don't have that many great illustrations. And you know that. But like sometimes I feel like, oh, I've got one. I've got one that motivates people 
and or that really gets them to be like, okay, I've got it now. I'm on board. And, and that doesn't always happen, but you, that's your goal. So you may not have it perfect every week or whenever you teach, you may not have it perfect, but your goal ought to be to motivate them rather than just to explain. So the reason you illustrate is to show the result or consequence of doing or not doing as the scripture commands. So your goal is to motivate, not to just inform. You're doing your informing with, with uh, your subpoints. So again, explanation, this is explaining, illustration is different. That's kind of motivating, and application is uh, showing how it works in their life. So what is the form of an illustration? Illustrations are stories. Illustrations are stories. I was just talking with Pat about this a minute ago. He had one uh, about uh, wearing a baseball, uh, never going out to play catcher without your equipment on. Um, That's a great analogy, but in order to make it an illustration, you need to make it into a story even if it's a little bit make-believe. So you need to say, you know, just imagine that you, and I used to play baseball. I love baseball so much. Baseball is a great game. And I have caught, you know, and I, have you ever seen a catcher? A catcher, when they go out to play catcher, they're all padded up. They got a mask on. They got a helmet on. They got chest protector on. They have shin guards. They have all kinds of equipment that protects them from the ball that's coming at them at 85, 95 miles an hour, depending on what league you're playing in, right? And plus foul balls and foul tips and all kinds of... now. Can you imagine? And then paint a picture. Paint us, tell a story. There's a baseball player who decides that he doesn't like being burdened down by all this catcher's equipment. He can't move as well as he wants to move. It's hot. I played catcher in 105 degree weather before. I know what it's like to play catcher when it is hot and you sweat so much. It is, it is awful. It is, the worst, it is the worst thing in the world. And so you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to have to wear all this equipment. I'm going to go play catcher. I don't need to wear any equipment. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, I haven't been hit by a ball in a long time. Now, you take off that equipment, you know what the chances are. 100%, right? But, but you see, the difference between just saying the armor of God is like catcher's equipment. You don't want to go catch unless you have the equipment on. And what I was trying to do there halfway is, is you try to actually make it into a story that has conflict and resolution. As I mentioned last week, my favorite way to say this is, I, got, I went out my front door to go get the mail. That's not a story. I went out the front door to go get the mail, and there was a tiger in my driveway. That's a story. Because now I have to an obstacle between me and my goal. There's you, there's a goal, and there's an obstacle. That's a story in the most simplest form. You got it? There's you, there's a goal, there's an obstacle. And so what resolves that obstacle is the point of the story. Is the, is the, is the, re, the resolution of the story what... The crisis and the resolution should match, should echo the crisis and the resolution of your, of your, um, of your text. Let me give you one illustration that I used to use that one of my favorites uh, isn't the best, maybe uh, technical, but um, I preached from Second uh, Peter 1 talking about the, um, in fact, if you turn, you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? Actually, it's 1 Peter 2. No, 1 Peter 1, not, not 2 Peter 1. No, that's not right. No, it was 2 Peter 1. I'm sorry. It just, it, I, hadn't, I hadn't preached out of this Bible yet, so I had it the wrong. You know how it is when you remember where it is on the page? In my other Bible, it was right here. And in this Bible, it's here, so it's a little different. 2 Peter 1, verse 16 says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the exalted glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word confirmed. The New King James says it that way. I actually prefer, um, there's a couple different translations that say, we have a more sure prophetic word, which is probably the better way to translate that. We have something more sure, that is the prophetic word. What he's saying is the prophetic word we have is more sure than even the eyewitness testimony they had when they were on the mountain and saw Jesus transfigured in the voice come out of heaven. The illustration I gave with this as I was trying to um, uh, 
exp- uh, illustrate it was that I had this story from um, that was written up in a al- uh, farmer's almanac or something like that back in the early 1900s of these people who bought this farmhouse. And, they, and I just read the story straight from the news article. They, they bought this farmhouse. They, um, they moved in. And immediately they started noticing things were a little bit off. They started hearing noises upstairs. They heard um, furniture shuffling around. They heard footsteps. They would go upstairs, open the door. No one was in there. They would hear doors slamming. And they would go upstairs. There was nobody there. They, would, they heard strange talking voices. They heard people uh, having conversations. Uh, and they didn't recognize their voices. Uh, all their plants started to die. Uh, everyone was really concerned that their house was haunted, and they didn't know what to do. They, um, one of their friends suggested that they have somebody come in and test uh, their furnace. He tested the furnace, found that the CO2 was emitting into the house, and all these things were hallucinations because, or not CO2, carbon monoxide, was being emitted into the house, and they were hallucinating because of the carbon monoxide poisoning. Their, their perception of reality although it felt very real, and even though their plants were dying and they thought that they were ghosts in the house, they were convinced if you talk to them, they were like, hey, we saw it. We heard it with our eyes. We, we felt the feeling. They, they would talk about feeling like their, their arms were like goosebumps and everything. Like they, they felt these things. They saw these things. They heard these things, but they were wrong. And you can't trust your senses. And the point I was making was, is that God has given us something even better than our senses, which is the word of God, which is prophetically confirmed that God doesn't just give us these experiences that we can doubt afterwards. You've ever experienced something and afterwards we're like, oh, that was, I, I, you are convinced it happened this way. Wait, wait till you guys get married. And your spouse is like, that's not how it happened. Yeah. And you're like, what are you talking about? Of course, that's how it happened. Have you guys ever had this conversation? No. <laughs> and, and the reason is, is because even after you experience something like your perception of that event can be a little bit different or off just because of your, your vantage point. And, and so we don't have to worry about that. He's saying we were there, yet we have the prophetic word more confirmed, which he describes as a light shining in a dark place. And then he talks about no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the power of the word of God. But I love that illustration because it, it points, it gives you a picture of that problem of trusting your senses but recognizing that that isn't an answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's long-winded, but um, keep going here. Um, illustrations, therefore, are not quotes or statistics. Statistics. So an illustration is not like four out of five dentists agree. Um, illustrations are stories that must be told. Okay. Any questions about that? Yes, ma'am. Um, so if you have a, the, the one exhortation, where should the illustration and application, like, should they be in the conclusion? Probably before your conclusion, yeah. Well, you could call it your conclusion, yeah, at the very end. So you, like, literally shouldn't do an illustration until the very end? No, um, that's more of the application part. The illustration, you can, you can illustrate truth, which is actually kind of what I was illustrating there. Um, you can have two illustrations, but your illustration should only be for your main point. So how many main points do you have? Three? You could have up to three illustrations. But since you're, if I remember right, isn't your exhortation repeated? Just So you should have one application. Illustrations and applications are different. Uh, do I need to say it a different way? Does that make sense? I just, I thought you said illustration was like not to inform, which is right. to me that's um, explaining truth, but. Yeah, well, okay, but you're motivating people to believe truth. Okay, good question. So um, when I say to motivate, when, when, when you are preaching and teaching, you're trying to help people change, okay? This, your goal is to incite change. Through the word of God, by the grace of God, people need to change. I hope you're not satisfied with where you are spiritually. I'm not. I hope you're not. I hope you're not like, oh, I've made it. I'm good. You know, the goal is, is that everyone in the congregation, I firmly believe every time I step in the pulpit that the Lord needs to use this passage to change people's hearts. And I hope that somebody out there is listening and changing. And it would be a horrible thing if God's word goes out and everybody sits there and bounces off their, their heart and they don't do anything. The goal is that people change. So what are they changing? If it's truth, 
If your truth is the center of your message, okay, if you're constantly talking about truth, what you're wanting to do is you want to change what they believe. Because what people say they believe, what people actually believe is not always the same thing. Tomorrow is a special day. April Fool's Day. I'm warning you now. Tomorrow is April Fool's Day. Fun day. If you were to go to your brother or sister, to your spouse, to your friend, and you were to go up to them, if I went up to Ryan and he's walking down the, walking down the road or walking down the hallway and I say, Ryan, there's a hornet on your back or there's a yellow jacket on your back. And Ryan starts screaming like a little girl. And he goes, ah, ah, ah. And he starts jumping around and swatting his back and slamming up against the wall and doing everything he can to try to kill this bee that's on his back. And I'm like, ha, ha, April fools. And if he turns to me and says, oh, I didn't believe you. What do you say to that? Who's li- Is he lying? He's telling the truth. He's obviously not telling the truth. Because what he says is not the same as what he, what he showed, what he believed by what he's doing. Right? His actions, his response shows what he believes. And here's what happens. People, people claim that they believe that God is good and that God is all-powerful. But when things go out of control, what do they do? They question God. Or do you really know what you're doing? Now, wait a second. Is God good or is he not good? So people need to be reminded and called to change, change their beliefs that they may not even, like what, people do what they do because they believe what they believe. Okay, they do what they do because they want what they want, and they want what they want because they believe what they believe. Like if you just kind of, you, you really think that's going to make you happy. And you have to help people change their belief. They may not even always know that they are, have a wrong belief about God, self, sin, whatever. So this is when it's truth. When it's exhortation-centered, you want it to change what? Actions. Yeah, behavior. And these two are connected. When I just said, you, you do what you do because you believe what you believe and you want what you want. Okay, the heart leads to the, the, the hands, right? You, 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 out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, but, but your focus in motivating, in applying, you can apply truth. But when I say application, what I'm really focusing on is I'm focusing on this. How does that behavior work itself out? When I talk about illustration, you can illustrate either one of these. In fact, the illustration I was giving on this was really kind of a belief thing, um, focusing on your belief that you have to see it to believe it. Okay? And some people think that unless I see it with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it. Well, the truth is, even if you see it with your own eyes, it may not be true. You have to trust truth even sometimes when it conflicts with what you see. And that's what Psalm 73 talks about. Psalm 37 talks about with, Lord, I'm looking out there. There's all these people that are profitable. They're abandoning you. They're walking away from you. And they, their, their bellies are fat. They have whatever they want. And look at me. You know, his vision is in conflict with what he knows to be true. And then he has to go to the house of the Lord and see him there. So the, I don't want to get too far into that because I'll get preachy on you, but... But the idea is, is that whenever you're preaching, you're focusing on changing either beliefs or changing behavior by God's grace. So you can illustrate either one of these, but you really can only apply this because application by its nature is, is visual. It's what, you, what, what results, and that's behavior. Okay? Does that make sense? Confusing anybody or am I wrong? Okay, let's keep going. Let's talk about applications here, and then I'll get, we'll talk about the, um, excuse me, the handout I gave you. Um, the purpose of an application is to show what the truth looks like when it is lived out in the real world. This is still on your um, page, like 15 or whatever it is. To show what the truth looks like when it's lived out in the real world. So, real life examples. Um, so, what's the form here? Well, you're going to paint a picture of two or three people groups uh, and how they would apply this message of this proposition. And I was explaining this to Derek and Christy last week after class. I wish I'd had you all here. Um, But the idea is I actually draw a picture of this in your notebook somewhere. Is uh, I, I, I draw a picture kind of like a snail. And then this. 
If you've seen that picture, and I call this rolling out the application. So um, let's go ahead and look at your, is there a, th that's on transitions, isn't it? Is there another thing on applications? Where did, page 60, or somewhere, somewhere on page 60, is another thing on illustrations and applications. Um, let me see if I can find it. I'll show you what it looks like. 53. Yeah, does it look like this to you? Well, that one's a page of four, I guess. Illustrations? Okay, a lot of the same. Yeah, yeah, it's the same basic material that was in the ex, uh, in the um, workshop worksheet. For our purposes and illustrations, a story or example with specific tension and resolution. I do not count statistics parallels or similes as illustrations. So the purpose of an illustration is to motivate, not to explain. I already said that, but you can fill in your blanks here. Illustrations should be for main points or propositions, and not for subpoints. Okay. And I thought I, I guess that's all I have. Okay. Application. Applications ought to roll out how to properly live out the propositional statement. This is the end, the purpose, the telos of the message. Remember the philosophy of preaching we talked earlier that the study, put it this way, study leads to sermon, leads to application. Okay, study for the sake of study is pointless. Just gathering information doesn't do anything. Um, sermon, I don't just mean that you have to preach all the time, but you ought to be like able to read. Your, I hope I hope that after going through these processes, you can read your Bible a little differently. You're like reading it and you're seeing it, and you're seeing how it applies. Um, this quote here is from Jonathan Lehman's book um, Reverberation, which is a pretty good book on the. Um, power of the word of God in the local church. And he says, the Bible does two things. It announces what God has done, and it confronts its hearers with this news and its implications. For a preacher to expose the Bible, therefore, he must expose the Bible's announcement and confrontation. So application is important. So in applying the passage, you're going to confront people in the following areas. You're going to confront them on their worldviews, on their spiritual state, so every person is struggling with sin in some way. We need to bring the scripture to bear on their struggles with idolatry, self-justification, love of self, love of the world, pride, or whatever. You need to bring the Bible to bear. Their social state. Uh, what does this mean for men or for women, for children, for adults, for those who are poor, for those who have much? And there's also a corporate meaning for the church very often. Those of you who are preaching will come to that, have to do that. Okay. Uh, and I don't have my little picture. I wonder where that went. I know I've seen it in here. Um, must have been earlier. Make sure I'm not missing something. Right here. I think I just tagged it on the end at one point. Sorry about that. Here's the picture I was referring to. Rolling out the application. The idea is this. When you apply, the here's the form of an application. The best applications are done like this. You give a very specific, very specific scenario or application in real life to a very specific individual kind of character you've created in your mind. And then you give little vignettes afterwards to show how it applies in different areas. So again, the main points I'm making on this is when you do an illustration, or I'm sorry, an application, the more specific you are, the better. And the more real to life you are, the better. So a couple of you use illustrations of like imaginary things. Kevin, I picked on you earlier. I had everybody guess what one of your illustrations was, and they got it. It was Lord of the Rings. Um, and and that's, um, that's fine sometimes, but what I'm really going to push you to do is to use real-to-life examples over... Imaginary examples. Very rarely is a fictional story going to have the same punch as a true story. Um, so, yeah? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Okay. 
Uh, do you want to disagree? No. I, I know the Lord of the Rings is very powerful stuff. Well, what Marshall just said makes sense because I've never seen it. Yeah. So you just lost me. I'm like, yeah. what is he talking about? Yeah. You start talking about characters, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. But so my suggestion for your scenario, for your illustration actually was what about D-Day? What about the charge of the light brigade? What about, there are all these, uh, the Pickett's, Mar Pickett's charge in Gettysburg. There are all these historical examples of military movement similar to what you were describing there that you could recall you could talk about um, that would be fitting so try to try to be very specific also try to be real to life in your application um, and uh, and in your illustrations as well yes ma'am so in mine I just like made up an example that very well is often real life but should I do an actual historical event no, I thought yours were pretty good. What I don't remember. You said that I need to do women. Yes. Okay. So that was the one thing I did mention that because you're because the ladies are biblically speaking, um, the role of the women in, in preaching and teaching is other ladies, or your family, is not broadly in the church, and so you wouldn't have an application. You ladies wouldn't have an application towards middle-aged men because you're not going to be preaching to middle-aged men. That was that was the only thing. <laughs> That's the only thing I was I was yeah, playing. One with a lady and one with a Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not to say that it isn't true. It's just we had to be careful to obey the scriptures and all things. So um, that was the only thing. But I thought yours were fine. The uh, the only I trying to remember. I think you did you did this, but it wasn't quite the same. I'm trying to. I can't remember exactly what. Can I see your paper? Do you mind? So I can. All right, I'm going to embarrass you for a second. Um, yeah, so you actually gave, so what you did was you went backwards. You gave your scenarios. You said, maybe you're a teenager who's pressured to school every day to go along and have fun with everybody else. You said, maybe you're a middle-aged man with an ungodly boss. Maybe you're a single mom and getting the kids up every Sunday morning to go to church doesn't seem worth it. Okay, so you gave your scenarios. All I'm going to, and I forgot to tell you this. This is what I was thinking is all you should do really with your thing is to flip it and to say, I don't know who you are or what your situation is or pick one, say, pick one of them, like the mom who has the kids and doesn't know if she should really go to church in the morning. Cause I mean, is it really worth like other kids? Can you even focus during the service? Are the kids really learning anything? Like we do a lot. Should we have a day of rest? Like all these temptations come into your mind. Um, and then roll it out and say, or maybe you're a teenager who's pressured at school to, get, or maybe you find more resonating with a teenager. Since you're a teenager, maybe you feel that, maybe you know more about that so you can be a little more specific about the kind of pull that has on you, the temptation or whatever. Um, so th that's what I'm saying is you, you, you draw out, here, I'll give this back to you. You draw out a, a very specific scenario and then you do little ones after that, like, you, you, you do something big and then you go, boom, look at that, look at that, look at that. They're all kind of connected to this. And they're all similar. Does that kind of make sense? Do you know why you do it that way? Does that... Some, somebody tell me. Can you give us an... And you maybe already have, but, you know, the gray matter here is fossilized. No, that's okay. Not even... I'm past middle age. I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> oh, poor Charles. Yeah. But... You know, they're very specific, okay, I understood that, but when you're rolling it out, what are those other sure. roles? Sure. So the other roles are, let's just say, let's go back. I like Cadence's example of like a high school student who's tempted to go along with the friends at school. Like the friends are always involved. I mean, we've all been there. Or a lot of us have been there. Some of you guys haven't been there yet. But so that's your, that's your first scenario you're, you're, you're drawing out. So you'll, you will spend some time, maybe upwards to a minute and a half, okay. kind of explaining the scenario. You know, you know Matt, just maybe you... Maybe or, or you know maybe you're like this teenage teenager who who finds that every time she goes to school, her friends are inviting her. There's another party this weekend, and you know mom and dad wouldn't know they're out of town, and it's really tempting. And plus they're the cool kids, and they finally invited you. You've wanted them to invite you, and they're and you you've got that great outfit you've been wanting to try that nobody's seen yet. You're looking forward to going, and you know that guy who you were kind of interested in is going to be there too. Maybe you could talk to him and. Things are starting to really line up, but you know it's not the right idea. And see, see I'm giving lots of details. Okay, that's the big 
That's the big one. Okay. And way almost unnecessary details. But I'm doing that so you can kind of put yourself in that scenario. And I'm a man. I'm 36. I have nothing. I don't have anything in connection with a, a girl who has the. But I still understand that temptation. But, but I, I need you to kind of hold me by the hand and bring me to that. So what you would then say is, then say something is like, yeah, but not everybody's a 17-year-old high school student. You know, in your... Some of us would be tempted to go to the Sunday morning uh, sidewalk sale at Harbor Freight because they got <laughs> exactly. tools out there. Exactly. Okay, perfect. <laughs> there you go. And then, and then you, say, you, say, you say, but yeah, of course, you know, or may, maybe, maybe your temptation isn't to hang out with your friends. Maybe your temptation is to get a little bit more sleep on Sunday morning mm-hmm. and skip it all. Or maybe your temptation is to, is to, is to finish the golf tournament that, that's almost done then go back to church. Or maybe your temptation is to get mad at the pastor and, and say, I, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that guy. I can't stand him anymore. And to stay home and to blame or to, or to, or to use whatever temptation, use whatever excuse you can. So noticing the other scenarios, as I'm saying them there, of course, this is really offhand. I'm not spending any time talking about all different tools at Harbor Freight. Right, right. I'm just saying there's the sale at Harbor Freight that is very tempting to you. And then I move on because I've already established the idea behind the seductiveness, seductive nature using a different scenario. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to have the best of both worlds. You have your very specific, and then you have parallels that are broad. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, back to Cadence. I just, I just want to clarify. I think I got it. So you start with um, like the exhortation of what you should do and why, and then you go on to specific life examples, and then like you don't... No, 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 no. So you, you, do, you do your specific life example, and in the specific life example, when you resolve it, that's where your exhortation comes in. And then, so if I had to draw this, I would put like the exhortation right here. So, you know, you're a teenage girl and you have all these friends and they're getting you to come out, but, but you say, no, I need to say no, or whatever, you know. Or you're the guy who wants to go to Harbor Freight and you say no. <laughs> or you're the wife who says, do I really need to go to church? And you say, well, yes, I do. You know, And so at each, I don't know if that makes complete sense, but you kind of, the way I imagine it, and of course you have some freedom, but I'm giving you how probably the, the easiest way to structure it is, is you tell the story, you, what is your application to the story? Because remember, a story has a structure to it. A story kind of goes like this, right? A story has introduction, rising action, climax, solution, denouement. Okay? So... Where this happens, the crisis moment of your story is where your application is where your illustration both should mirror, should echo what's going on in your story, what's going on in your passage, sorry. And I know this is, it's hard to actually get it out out there if you're not like directly dealing with your specific thing, but I think you can kind of see where that goes. And like I said, this isn't always possible to do it perfectly every time. A story, application, and then like story one, story two, story three, kind of that that reflect back to that application, you know. They kind of And then at the end bring it back to the application. Yeah, if you want to, yeah. Yeah. This just needs to be the center point and and, and very clear what you're applying. Very clear. And uh, like Derek's doing his on trusting God. And uh, I forget, what your application? Mine's, um, mine was, because mine was, I didn't have like a main one. Yeah. So I was talking about like whether your boss puts you in a oh, spot, right. you know, your children are you know, being difficult, your marriage is not worth, you know, you wish it was no matter your situation, God is faithful and sovereign. So you must trust him. So you're just telling me, take one of those points, get more specific. That, that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So pick one. You had a great, you have, remember you had two or three really great examples. So pick one and really kind of lean into it. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to be overly specific. That's the thing. People don't get this, but I'm serious. If you're overly specific um, and, and get really specific about the story and really paint a picture for people, those are the stories that people connect with. People tend to think, oh, if it's really general, everybody can connect with it. No, it's if you're very specific, then people tend to connect with it better. Um, okay? Any questions? Yeah, How many Pat. illustrations do you 
normally have? I mean, can you have two? Oh, yeah, two? you could have. You could have up to one per main point. I have a few that I don't know which ones to use, but if I could use two or three of them for each section. Okay, so the other thing is you can use two illustrations back to back. If you're trying to, you're free to do, you're free to have some flexibility on this. I'm giving you like the, the bare bones, like this is what you need to have. But sometimes I found like if I'm giving an illustration, sometimes if I, if I, if I stack them, like do two, one or two, like right after the other without any transition, just tell a story, tell another story, tell another story, like boom, 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 and show a thread through those three stories, it, that also works. Really it's whatever can communicate your goal, whatever kind of motivates people. Um, and if you do illustrations, I, I, I think illustrations work that way maybe, but they have to be, they have to be like parallel or um, basically the same idea behind it, which is different details, like the same, I call it echo. They have to have the same reason, the same solution. Like one, one solution can't be, I'm, not, I'm getting myself in trouble. I can't really think on my feet this well. Uh, one solution can't be, um, overcome the problem while the other solution is to avoid the problem. You know, both solutions have to be how to overcome the problem, maybe different ways of overcoming the problem. But, you know, sometimes we overcome things. Sometimes we avoid things. Sometimes we go around things. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to understand that every, the story, the story you're presenting has a solution to it and it has to have the same basic idea solution behind it. Hope that isn't too I don't even really know what I'm talking about at this point. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're getting kind of way up in the cloud. So, it, really, honestly, if it, if it sounds like, if it communicates your message well, if you feel like it's making the point, it's probably great. It's probably great. Okay? Um, let's talk about uh, transitions. Is that okay? We okay to do that now? This is hot off the press. Um, actually, before we do transitions, let's talk introductions and conclusions. It goes right... Before that, I think we'll be able to cover all this tonight. Um, so introductions and conclusions is on, um, is right before your transitions part, okay? There's not a lot of filling the blanks here because I did this last year after you guys had already gone home and decided not to come back to class. So, um, so how to begin? The key to beginning your sermon is to introduce it in a way that arrests the attention of your audience and sets the table for what follows. I like those ideas. Your, your number one is to grab attention and to present, the, to get them situated, to get them in the world of your message. So we have a lot of different things going on here. Charles is preaching on 1 John. You know, we got Ryan preaching on Genesis 22. So the way that 1 John and Genesis 22 are set up, and Donna's preaching on James 1. How are you, Donna? Come on in. The, the, uh, can you pass this to her? Thank you. The, the way that they're, you introduce are, are going to be completely different. Um, so Chapel gives the following ways to introduce a sermon. He says you can do a human interest account. You can do a simple assertion. Um, a startling statement, your arms are too short to box with God, or there's a murderer in the congregation. Now, what's the danger of using a startling statement as the opening for introduction for your message? You use it too often. People are like, oh, brother, here we go again. Uh, there's an adulterer in our congregation. There's a, um, I don't know what other... Thief in our congregation. <laughs> There's some, you know, just keep going. Okay. Um, provocative questions. I love this one. Why does grass grow in my driveway but not in my lawn? Um, you know, just kind of getting, getting people to think about a certain problem that might be there. Or a catalog. Uh, grouping or listing items, ideas, or persons in such a way as they reveal the central concept of the sermon. So like when children in the sound of music sing raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, they engage in a catalog song, making the point that simple pleasures make life tolerable. So um, you can do all these things. You can do other things. You can, you can start with a story. I like to start with some sort of illustration, some sort of, I don't always do it, but I try to, I like to. 
And often I do enveloping, which means that I begin something and I kind of come back to it at the end to kind of tell you the conclusion or something like that. Um, but people have been successful in doing all kinds of things with introductions. So Adam says in Truth Applied, do not begin with the or do not begin with the text, begin with the congregation, as Peter and Paul did. Turn to the passage of Scripture only when you have adequately oriented your congregation to what they find there, and only when you have sufficiently stirred them up in them a concern to know about it. So the idea is, is that you don't say, turn to your Bible to this. Now I do that all the time. But um, I try to do that just to get people turning there so that um, by the time I'm ready to actually say my FCF, they're there. I think what he's trying to avoid is, is saying, um, you get in the pulpit, you're like, Second um, Peter 2, 1. All right, it says, but there were also false prophets among the people. Okay, if you start straight off with the Bible without orienting or situating people where you're going, it's kind of jarring. Okay, so... Um, the FCF should be in, in your introduction, okay? So it sets the stage for what is to follow. Deductive and inductive. Did we talk about the, that difference between those two kinds of styles of messages? Yes, no, maybe, a little bit. So a deductive message is the one, just as a reminder, where uh, you guys ever seen the, the, the School of Athens painting? Plato and Aristotle, you ever seen that? The School of Athens is what it's called. It's a famous painting. Um, all right. See those two guys in the middle? It's Plato and Aristotle. Plato, Aristotle. Plato is going like this. Aristotle's going like this. Okay. Plato's talking about the universals. Aristotle's talking about the particulars. Okay, that's their main philosophy. That, there's a lot going on in this painting. But this is deductive and inductive. Deductive says, I'm going to start with my proposition, universal, and everything falls under that universal. Whereas Aristotle, Aristotelian philosophy, is you look at the particulars and you deduce truth from the particulars. So if we think about that way, maybe that helps, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're like, oh, brother, stop talking about. Yeah, so deductive is prop and all of these prove your proposition. Okay, you say it, you prove it, prove it, prove it, you say it again, you're done. People know at the beginning of your message where you're going and what, what you're going to say. And you prove it to them, then you sit down. That's it. You tell them what you're going to say, you say it, you say it again, you sit down. Now, inductive is one, two, three, then prop. Sorry, I'm leaning here. But it's like you see evidence, 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 therefore conclusion. So you're saying, look at, the, look at the things out here, Aristotle, look at the things out here, the little particulars, and, and in your scripture, you're going to say, look at this, look at this section, look what this is saying. Oh, isn't that cool? Okay, now look at this section. Oh, wow. look at this is saying. Oh, wow. So we're saying this and this, and then look at this next part. Oh, wow, look at what this is saying. So there, if this and this and this, therefore, we have a truth and an exhortation based on these three passages, and you finally tell them at the end. So the proposition is at the end of your message, in an inductive sermon, and in the proposition as the beginning of your message in a deductive sermon. I mention this because stories are almost always inductive. Because stories naturally are inductive in the sense that you don't tell the point of the story before you start. You don't say, well, the point of this story, I think I've said this before, is that with great power comes great responsibility. Okay, now let's talk about Batman. <laughs> you know, um, that not that Batman or that Spider-Man? Who is that? Spider-Man. Okay. Batman is when you fall down, you get up again. Okay, whatever. That's the same. Why do you fall down so you can get up again? Um, uh, so whatever the story is, you know, you don't, you don't do that. You, you have the conclusion, and the conclusion going to give you that. Okay. Um, so is it deductive or inductive? Deductive sermon proposition, proposition will be at the beginning of the message. Inductive, inductive proposition will be at the end of the message. 
Uh, I think I just explained that. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully all of you know which one you are. So here's my format for introduction. I begin with a sermonic introduction, a story or something to orient the congregation to the general theme. I get more specific until we reach the point of the FCF. I do, I do this almost every single message I preach. In fact, I hope it doesn't get boring. But that's the idea, is I try to orient the congregation, and I will state my, clear, my FCF clearly. At some point in my introduction, before I ever get to the text, I will state my FCF. Why do you state it so early in the message? To kind of set the tone? So yeah. You You're setting the tone. You're telling people why they need to listen. Before they ever get into the Word of God, you're telling them, this is why you need to have this passage in your life and the grace of God applying to your life today. It's because you have this problem. I have this problem. Pat has this problem. Charles has this problem. Derek, everyone has this problem. And we need God's grace to overcome it in different ways. It manifests itself differently, but it is a common fallen condition focus. We are fallen creatures who need this. Okay? And then if you are doing deductive, you give the theme right away. Okay? And then textual introduction, transition, main point one. Does that make sense? Questions? Okay, conclusions. In the conclusion, you've lost the opportunity to communicate the main theme of the passage. So you want to state your proposition again, or if you're doing your inductive, you want to do your... your um, um, your proposition for the first time then. Uh, this graph is from Chapel. I like it. Sermon intensity graph. The idea is, is that you should, your, your sermon should grow in intensity as you go through the message. So that by the end, it should be the climax of your message. Your, your, your conclusion ought to be the most exciting part of your message. Um, there's overall upward progression. Okay. He gives some elements of a good conclusion, recapitulation. That's a concise summary where you say, we've seen this, we've seen this, we've seen this. Exhortation, that's just a final application. Elevation, just a climax, like you just keep going. Or, and, and there's termination. Oh, I'm sorry, these are all elements. These are all the elements of the, I misread this, sorry. You should definitely end, like end. Don't do like Paul and say, finally, brethren, and then talk for three more chapters. <laughs> okay. I say that jokingly. You know what I mean. Um, say, done, done, I'm out. Um, the, uh, let's see here. Elevation, termination, exhortation, recapitulation. I think that's from chapel. I think that's all from chapel. And then I said, be sure to demonstrate the power of God's grace to accomplish what is being asked of congregation. Give hope. Uh, Dwayne Hansen, who this building is named after, used to always say, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell it to them, tell them what you told them, then sit down. Yeah, I mean, that's old as the hills, but he would always say that. I think he and I had the same professor in speech class. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, you kind of get what I'm saying with, with conclusions. Uh, conclusions, it's easy to rattle on. It's easy to, like... Oh, I forgot to say. Here, oh, what happens? Let me ask you this. What happens if you get to conclusion and you realize you forgot to say something? Don't say it. Put it back in the main point. <laughs> okay, no, wait, no, it's in person. I thought you were saying, well, we're writing it. No, no, no. When you're, when you're talking. Don't say it. Don't say it. They won't know. Maybe God doesn't want you to say it. Part of God's providence in your delivery. I mean, who am I to say? Don't, don't ever be like, oh, I forgot something under point two subsection A, and I have to say it because I prepared it. <laughs> I mean, just let it go. And um, allow God to speak through. I tell you, there's nothing more sweet than when you're able to preach a message that is biblical, that comes from God's word. You know is biblical because you studied it, and you spent all this time observation, interpretation, application. You spent all this time working on this passage, so you know you know what it says, and you're able to like unfold it for someone, and they haven't thought about that passage in a year or two, and they haven't read it in a long time, and there you, you know, you're able to show them what it means, and then they're like, wow, and then you 
share them how that, how that impacts their life. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I hope that y'all are able to do it uh, with this, uh, that you take this and really keep going. Now, transitions. Can we talk about these before we shut it down tonight? Um, and then let me look at what we had here before I get into this. Our yeah, right transition. So I wanted to get I wanted to get this instruction to you. The purpose of transitions. Uh, transitions exist to tie the components of a sermon together and to signal progress and direction for the listener. Okay, so transitions are important. There are different kinds of transitions as well. I'm going to give you a few. Feel free to experiment with transitions while you guys are working on your messages. Can you see that okay? First is knitting statements. Knitting statements. This is my favorite. So the knitting statement, what you're doing is, if you're between points, you reach back to the previous, you pull it towards the oncoming discussion, and you pull them together. So you say... You talk about the past, you reach into the front, you reach into what's coming, and you connect them, and then you move forward. So the idea is, my, the ways you say it is not only this, but also this. It's very simple. Um, even simply next can work as a knitting statement. Knitting statements is the most natural way to transition from one point to the next. Um, it, not only, then you repeat first, not only point one, well, we also see point two. Not only, but also, you know, not only this, but this, this and this. I mean, it's very, very simple. It's called knitting statements. The next is called dialogical questions. That means you ask questions, which it takes a little more work and um, can be really good. So how do we know what this verse means? Or how do we know what God meant by that? Or how do we know what God wants us to do? How can we apply the truth to our lives? What would God, why would God choose him? Did God forget that he was a sinner? All these things are questions that you would use that lead into your next point. Okay. I always write out my transitions because I'm always bad at thinking. If I, if I have to fall back on something, it's always like, not only, but also. <laughs> if you hear me saying that, you're like, you're like, oh, Pastor Marshall didn't have enough time to finish a transition. <laughs> so um, numbering and listing, uh, obviously, this is one of the driest and my least favorite. Uh, be careful when listing and numbering. Although numbers work fine, that should be fine, F-I-N-E. Fine on the page. They do not work well in audio medium, such as preaching or teaching. So, like, if you are talking and you say, you know, first, second, third, that can be okay. But when you start talking numbers, if you use numbers or statistics from the pulpit, they don't communicate well. They just don't. Unless you have a chart, like, on the screen, numbers don't work. I'm just telling you that. Uh, I didn't notice anybody doing it. Picture painting is the very difficult one, but an uh, interesting one that's very creative. If you're more of a creative type, Maybe you want to try something like this, where you have a, quote, controlling image that sets the stage for the sermon, such as, I once time, I once heard a sermon, in fact, I still remember it. This, is, this can be very memorable. I, I heard a message when I was in high school. A guy called it God's Weight Room, W-A-I-T, waiting on God. What happens in God's weight room? Well, over here is the bench press. And in the bench press of God's weight room is pressing on. And he had this whole thing about pressing on. And he quoted this verse about, you know, he press on prize, the upper call of God in Christ Jesus or whatever. And then there was the leg press and it was about the, the, you know, carrying the gospel forward. And then there was the, uh, I forget all these different, uh, but I remember the weight room and his, Im, his controlling image for his message was the weight room. And he kind of took you on a tour of the weight room and each station was a different point and it had an image around it. Now that's that's hard to do. You can't do that every week. But occasionally, maybe that is something that just works for a message you're doing. I also put here a flower with petals. Maybe there is a flower that has different petals to it or a tree with branches. Like In your mind, you think of it as interconnected or, or, or a wheel with spokes on it or something like that, where each thing is an individual point. Uh, images can be very simple. They can be very complex. But that is called picture painting. And it's challenging, but if you're really creative, you can come up with some interesting, interesting stuff there. I had one minor 
comment. Sure. And it, it still bugs me to this day. I guess it shouldn't, but I heard a preacher and he used it as a, I don't remember as an illustration or a transition, but if you're going to use something that involves science, you should know a little bit about what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, the guy was a radio TV preacher and he, he said, he's talking about an airplane flies and what it does, it cancels the law of gravity. And I go, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I lost him from that point on. I mean, yeah. You have to be careful. Yeah, so that is a good point. I think uh, I think Adam says some stuff about this, and I was reading something. Um, oh, no, it was in uh, chapel. I was reading in prep for this week, and he talked about that. He said it's very easy to, um, you have to get your facts right. So if you talk about, you know, John Steinbeck's famous Huckleberry Finn, <laughs> you've lost, you know, you've lost half the congregation who knows that's a Mark Twain book, you know. And then if you talk, you know, if you, if you mess up, you say Washington's Gettysburg Address, you laugh. But I mean, I've said, I've made mistakes like that before. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, you just have to be, you have to be, that's why sometimes if you're doing very specific things, it's helpful to have notes. So you don't accidentally say the wrong thing. I mean, I I forget things all the time. You know, it's horrible. When you forget something, and you're trying to pull it out. If you're up in front of people, you'd be amazed what you can forget. Well, I notice um, people don't expect you to remember everything. I know you'll talk a lot, but you'll read a lot. You'll look mm-hmm. and think, and it's okay because you can't. We yeah. don't expect you to know every, remember yeah. everything. So yeah. when you look at papers, people don't expect you to. Sure. They're not like, why is he looking at his notes? It's yeah. Like, I can't remember everything. Sure. And and the reason I look at my notes is not just because I can't remember it. It's that. Honestly, a lot of times what I'm trying, there, there are two things I'm doing when I do that is one is I'm trying to make, I have a very specific route I'm taking. I'm trying to get from here to here and I'm on a time, I'm on a timer. And if I didn't have a timer, I could be like, Woo, go over here, go over there and eventually make it here. But I'm also trying to make my sermons as consistent as possible because I'm preaching two sermons, two, two services. When I'm only preaching one sermon, one service, now except these ones on culture, those are hard, but the ones where I'm just preaching like a Sunday night or like if I'm preaching a guest for guests for somebody, I don't have nearly the trouble because I don't worry about recreating that sermon as close as possible for the next congregation so that if someone from the first service and someone from the second service talk to each other, they're not talking about two different messages. So, Cadence, you're going to ask something? If we do the picture painting, you still want to include an illustration? It just depends if you need it. They might be part of your illustration. Depends on how you do it. Like if you do like the weight room thing that guy did, it, it's kind of all illustration. I, that guy was not preaching an expository message from a text, so it's a little different. He was preaching a topical message about about something, but that's just an example of that. Yeah. Um, let's keep going. Uh, other ways you can do this. This is an interesting one. It's called billboards and branches. Um, a billboard. They're, they're crystallized statements of the main point, typically using a keyword in the order they will appear. So what they're doing, it's like they're indicating the direction that the point is going to take before you ever go there. So he quotes in the book, to have assurance of your relationship with God, you must believe the love of Jesus is greater than sin, than circumstances, and Satan. Those are his three subpoints, or his three main points. I don't know. Depends. He's already telling you where he's going. And he's a billboarding. That's called billboarding, where you're, where you're repeating yourself. And you repeat yourself every single time. We've seen that to have your assurance of your relationship with God, you must believe the love of Jesus is greater than sin. Now we're going to see that you must believe the love of Jesus is greater than circumstances. And then we're going to see the love of Jesus is greater even than Satan. Let's talk about circumstances. So you're, you're giving the billboard. You're giving the big picture before you ever get there. That's why it's called billboarding. Branches is, is uh, the same idea. You're, you're, I think that's what it is. I have to look at the, the book. I think that's what he's branching out or branching from there. Um, this best wor- works in deductive sermons because in deductive sermons you're giving your point and explaining it. You're not doing the explaining then the point. Okay? Um, any questions? That's all I had. Okay.
Any questions or any, anything? Now, after talking about this, your illustrations and your transitions um, and your sermon stuff, what we have next. When everything is due, it's next, next time. Is that right? Remember what I said here. Um, well, I had right introductions and conclusions for today, right transitions, but I'll, I'll let you do that and turn it in. I'll let you go back and review it if you want to do that, and I will include these right here. Okay, so turn them in next time if you would on 421. Does that work for you guys? If you're wrong today, just take them home, tweak it a little bit. If you have any questions, I mean, I, I don't hear any, but um, if you have any questions, let me know. And um, thank you for coming. Have a great night.